Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody and welcome to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. I'm John Heintoff. What an extraordinary year it's been for motorsport. And whilst we concentrate on the longer versions of motorsport and those with four wheels, that's not exclusively what we're interested in. Probably the same as yourselves. If it's got wheels and an engine and they keep score, we talk about it on Midweek Motorsport and it probably means that you've been watching some two-wheeled motorsport this year as well and the two major championships around the world of course world superbike and moto gp have had absolutely banner seasons so it seems right that we should look back on the 2019 world superbike and moto gp seasons and to help me do that i'm delighted to say declan brennan joins me dex thanks very much for making some time i'm not overselling that am i i don't want to to, to lean towards the hyperball, but in the in the in the two major championships, we've had two pretty decent years for very different reasons. Yes, it is. Uh, you, you've, I think you, you've fairly uh, characterised both. I would say World Superbike. Uh, the, the narrative there was was uh, you couldn't have made it up, and we'll obviously get to that a bit later. Uh, we we had a, a, a new character. Uh, uh, emerge and uh, start to dominate proceedings uh, until he didn't, and then mm. somebody else did, uh, and and that the whole that whole uh, uh, genesis of, of 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 that season and that, that whole unfolding storyline was kind of remarkable, and it, it was like an unfolding car crash stro- slash motorcycle crash <laughs> for one of for 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 uh, one of the the, the principal players. The what other was... series, in terms of MotoGP, just yeah, it, it was extraordinary. It wasn't necessarily as competitive as we'd like it to be, but there, but it had enough absolutely, just you know, transcendent moments uh, that pretty much nailed it on as as for for me the greatest uh, motorsports category uh, on two or four wheels. Okay. Even though mm. ultimately we had a season that was entirely dominated uh, by one person. Let's start with World Superbikes, then, as you started there, uh, and for no other reason than that. So I, I've got the the raw statistics in front of me of who did what, and um, all the way down to Takumi Takahashi, who um, is, is listed down in 28th uh, position uh, with... Uh, one point uh, from a, from three races, uh, no fastest laps, no podiums. <laughs> um, uh, you, you look at World Superbikes, though. Uh, often purists often look down their nose at World Superbikes. That hasn't been the case for the last few years. They've reinvented themselves, and obviously coming under the same umbrella now, the, uh, the same organising. Uh, the same organising um, authorities as as Moto GP. There's not that battle between, 
And that's actually really, I think, benefited both championships, but particularly benefited World Superbikes. There will be people who will disagree with me, but I like the fact that there is a very, very definite split in what World Superbikes is meant to be and what the manufacturers can and can't do, and therefore what they can and can't do in MotoGP. And, and the fact that it is under the same umbrella means there's not that rivalry anymore for them to sort of move towards the middle ground. They've split away again, technically, and that gives us a different character of racing and gives the manufacturers decks, more importantly, a different marketing opportunity in World Superbikes. Uh, that is something we talk about constantly on the show is the idea of the relevancy of each of the particular formula or formulae. The, uh, I know we talk about linking things directly to bike sales and, mm. and I know, for example, the Panigale launch this year and the introduction of the Panigale, the new Panigale into World Superbike uh, would be a crucial part of uh, Ducati's broader marketing push to sell their brand as the ultimate sport bike brand around the world. And I think they do that to, to, to some extent. And it's a, it's a fascinating discussion. And I, I do not know the answer to this. I truly don't. I do not know ultimately whether success in MotoGP or success in world Superbikes uh, makes more difference or which one has a higher coefficient in terms of how it impacts yes. brand, uh, uh valuation uh, brand perception and sales obviously the one place you can point to is that kawasaki clearly feel that for the investment they make across all of the categories of of superbike because kawasaki are very heavily involved in super sport 600 300 and of course in world superbike so they clearly moved away from MotoGP, gp and i one has to presume that was a a a a a financial and a risk reward mm. and a, a bang for book. And they've, they've clearly uh, positioned themselves. And it, and here's the thing I don't know the answer to I suspect that the brand value of Kawasaki is extremely high due to Jonathan Ray's dominance. Yes. Continued dominance. Uh, what I can't answer, and I'd love to be able to find a metric for this or have somebody who could tell me more uh, is whether or not, a, if they then moved into MotoGP and were relatively successful, would that would that make a difference? For example, KTM hmm. are, are making a, a lot of uh, uh, brand inroads because they are beginning to get a foothold in MotoGP. Yeah, is that greater than them winning? races and championships in world superbike i don't know the answer there's no doubt though dex that despite the fact that you know um i i ride what can only be described as an old man's bike um which is a big bmw tourer there's no doubt though that the market for sports super sports and indeed hyper sports bike is as strong if not stronger as it's ever been and the technology that goes into those bikes and then in fact filters down quite quickly. I was going to say trickles down. It's not a trickle down. It comes down quite quickly into into crossover bikes, into uh, sports tourers and full tourers like, like my K1600. So you have ride-by-wire. You have clutchless gear changes. You have ABS and traction control, which gets ever cleverer, um, seamless gear shift, etc. Th- that's not technology that is just on the super sports, hyper sports bike. And, and 
it seems to me that motorcycle companies have realised, possibly having watched what's happened with people like Audi in particular and, and Porsche in sports car racing and one or two others in other forms of motorsport, you can make a link. It doesn't have to be that particular bike. It can be the technology that you trumpet. But actually, that particular bike, that halo bike, is still really important and they're still selling. That's a, You've brought up a brilliant uh, uh point john and it's something we've never i don't think we've ever discussed this on the show and it's something i think about all the time if MotoGP is formula one mm. which it is what is world superbike and i don't know the answer to that the reason is that because in the two-wheel community as you pointed out at the start they're almost viewed as not quite equals but they're almost viewed as two entirely valid independent world championships world top echelon mm-hmm. championships in a way that doesn't exist in the four-wheel world other than f1 and rallying for example because they're distinctively different disciplines but like formula one is much much greater and more important than world touring car would be for example or yes. even G- gt racing but but there's no there's nothing analogous with world superbike with four four wheels i think that's what makes it remarkable it exists in a very specific way, and Rizzo Flaminini, 30 years ago when he came up with this, when he basically took the dying embers of the Formula One World Championship for four big four strokes and turned it mm. into World Superbike, he was a genius because he saw a giant gap that was filled immediately, mainly by Italian man. Like you go back and it was Bimota and mm. and Ducati and uh, and but but it. He understood what the fit was and and that it absolutely had a place. Uh, and it, and what is remarkable to me is that for people like me, I, for example, I'm a subscriber to both. I I will mm-hmm. buy the the, the global package uh, streaming for World Superbike, watch all the races, all the supports, the same as that. I view them slightly differently, but but ultimately, I it's like one A and one B. <laughs> If, you know what I mean? Yes. It's 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 just it's not like World Touring Car, which is like oh well, if it's on, I might watch it. No, World Superbike is still a destination uh, 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 event, and that is a it, that's quite remarkable. What it certainly does have is right now uh, is it has the mind share of all of the manufacturers finally, and I say that because Honda yes. basically put their hands up this year and said, no, we really need to properly do this now. This is this is just getting silly. Where you know, Well, there's they, a reason they... for that, though, Dex, isn't there? Because they, their Fireblade sales, which is their super sport stroke hypersport bike, um, if, if you take away the, the race replicas, which, of course, you can buy uh, as well on two wheels, um, they would be like GT3, GT4 cars for the street, um, if, if you will. Um, the, the, the Fireblade has lost a bit of its reputation in terms of being... I mean, I, I when I was buying, riding Suzuki's and, and, and four-cylinder Japanese bikes, the, the Fireblade, the new Fireblade coming out... Oh, there's a new Fireblade coming out. If it was only a new decal pack or a new set of stickers or a new colour on it, you waited oh, for yeah. it with bated breath. Now you or can't... 300 more revs. Yeah, exactly. Ex- <laughs> ex- we've, uh, we've changed the styling of the seat. Um, you know, you know, even if it was a new lighting package, you, you waited for that 
with bated breath. That hasn't been the case in in more recent years. And the Fireblade, which you know, you talk about the GSXR seven fifty uh, and and uh, uh, for, for Suzuki, you talk about. Ducatis, you mentioned the Panigale, of course. You go through all their numbered bikes uh, as well. You you think about the Yamahas with the the R6 and the R1. All of these bikes have have become have set themselves into a, a, an area where you're going. Oh, can't wait for the new one. I've not really heard that about the Fireblade in the well, last few years. To be honest, I think if and I'm not a a, a a rider but but i'm a, obviously very interested in the business the business mm. uh, end end of this and 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 how it all all ties in together but from a brand perspective it fe- always feels to me in superbikes that the real winner uh, <laughs> generally speaking in superbikes is ducati uh, and and obviously more recently kawasaki uh, because because of the uh, the as you said the halo bike and and particularly this year when, when they brought in the very heavily revised and 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 also entirely beautiful Panigale, <laughs> you know they they uh, it's it's like it kind of reminds me of 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 how Ferrari work insofar as that uh, that that racing has to exist. I don't think they could exist alone without uh, without Superbike. I don't think. Uh, the way Ducati market themselves and the appeal will be the same if they didn't have superbikes. Great, and uh, and and I think in some respects Honda have lost that with with such a massive focus Agreed. on 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 what HRC uh, has been doing with uh, with the ankle uh, with with Puig and 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 uh, his his guys in Spain, and of course that's where we're going. The the new program with Leon Haslam and Alvaro Batista will be run basically out of the factory in Spain and uh, and so finally after kind of paying lip service to the fact that they were changing things by moving to to uh to Morawaki from Tenkata la- uh, last year and it didn't work out they are saying right this is it we're going to do this properly so they've done a lot of private testing uh, and we'll obviously come to this at the end but uh but yeah w- next year we are going to see as I said, a, a basically a massive commitment from all of the manufacturers involved. Uh, and some of them will have to commit more than others because, uh, as we will now discover, uh, one man and one manufacturer kind wow. of leapt uh, away from the pack uh, remarkably this year in the end. Well, we could talk about everybody in that 28. We're not going to. There's no time uh, to do that. Um, let's let's look at, for no other reason than I've got them here, let's... Let's look at the um, the, the top six. So um, Chaz Davis in uh, sixth position for the Aruba uh, Ducati uh, team on that V4R. Um, I mean, he's done one two fives. He's done two fifties. Um, he's done MotoGP. Came over to World Superbike. See, I still say that. Uh, and, and don't pe- forget, he went to the spell in America. He he was running uh, in in the Daytona Sport Bikes here. What what was the old uh, uh, AMA Superbikes in the USA? So Davis is uh, very very much uh, loved at at Ducati. Uh, they, he is extremely popular within the team. He struggled at the start of the season more because of physical uh, limitations rather than his inability to get his head around the Panigale. Uh, and things began to move in the right direction. If you were to literally just look through his results, you can see that generally things started to move in a better direction. He struggled a little bit in qualifying at times. Yeah. But towards the end of the year, uh, he was 
uh, putting in better performances than his teammate, yeah. uh, and he was beating his teammate, which is which is, and there are other extenuating circumstances for that as well. But uh, but uh, I get the impression that the uh, introduction in 2020 of a new teammate in the form of Scott Redding is going to uh, put a real fire under him. And I think he'll carry a lot of what he gained over the end of last season into, into 2020. But uh, yeah, he, he basically uh, struggled uh, in terms of the overall championship, really because he just couldn't get the grips with things uh, early, early on in the season. He was, he was barely uh, trouble in the top 10 uh, until we got to the third round and that would be the seventh race. And that was at Aragon where, which is a track he likes. Well, that's a good point as well. You bring up that, um, Ultimately, there were 37 races this year uh, with the uh, two races, the third, two and a half races, really. The third race, the Super Pole, um, not actually a Super Pole session, but a Super Pole race, uh, but still was a race, short sprint race, if you will. Saw some I, good I, action. I, I like I would, that. Yeah, I thought I wouldn't like that. I thought it I didn't might think be that. gimmicky, and I really did like it. Well, well, well <laughs> what were... we saw, and I think this is, this is uh, again, this is a point of difference, isn't it, between... Um, World Superbike and and MotoGP, which has one main race uh, for each of the categories at the weekend. In in Superbike, you have three. One of which is a very different character. It's a shorter race, and therefore having to look after tyres actually doesn't really matter as much, if at all. So what you see, it's well named as Superpole. In the same way as in Formula One, that you'll you'll see the fastest that the cars go all weekend in the final qualifying session because there's nothing to hold on to. There's no point in not doing that. You actually see the fastest running and the most aggressive riding in that short race. I think it's a genius idea. I do. I do. Uh, yeah. As, and and really, there's a uh, the Dorna basically uh, Dorna really. Uh, said when they they nailed their colours to the mast uh, with this early on saying this is really about fa- the fans and yep. this is about this is about uh, value for money and giving more track action and it is great and it it really really works and it it gives people effectively uh, three races over a weekend means that that uh, and along with Supersport six hundred and three hundred and things like European Superstock and all the things we won't be talking about but all of that the the whole superbike package is is phenomenal yeah and and if you're a if you're if you're a uh, a guy uh, or a group of guys going to going to uh, a, in a gang to an event uh, on your motorcycles there's very little uh to beat it in terms of of uh, watching racing that directly relates to who you are and what you do well and dex to be honest you have to tear yourself away from the track if you want to see the off-track Interest and there's plenty of it because all the manufacturers activate really hard, heavily around the events. But frankly, there's almost no time to see it because if you actually stay trackside and watch the racing, there's barely 15 20 minutes between sessions most of the time. I think it's great, it's a great run out. Let's run it through the top five then. Top rack, Raz Gatlothu. The um, <laughs> it's very simple, it's Raz Gatlioglu, Raz Gatlioglu. 
<laughs> one more time and this is like talking to Nick who can't can't say Fabio Quartararo uh, Raz Gatlioglu yes Raz uh, Gatlioglu of course the the he's he's just called Top Rack on the uh, uh, as opposed to it's a shame it's not he's, he wasn't Top Cat Raz Gatlioglu because that would be a there's a joke for the teenagers 13, there but uh, 13 podiums two wins three seconds eight thirds uh, three fastest laps uh, on the season did the did the full thirty seven, which can't be said uh, of of everybody. In fact, Charles Davis didn't make one of the races uh, this year uh, as well. Um, top rack, uh, also top. Uh, do we do we? It's like satellite bikes. Top privateer is that what yeah, we're calling is, it? Is he, is he even uh, here? That's a great. It's actually a really good question to ask. Should we call? Because mm. he because it was. It's the. Ah, blimey. The uh, the the bike absolutely wasn't uh, quite uh, up to speed in terms of the uh, in terms of the uh, the factory. Kawasaki, yeah, yeah. It was a very good bike, and it, what was really interesting was just seeing him develop over the course of the year to the point where, uh, for example, he he was. He, you could see him generally improving everything. Like his qualifying was getting better, and he eventually became a uh, uh, a, a, a winner and a front runner. And, and to the point where, honestly, I was stunned when he didn't make the uh, what I thought would have been a logical jump yeah. for next year uh, to the from Pachetti to the to the factory to the factory. Uh, Kawasaki team. He's not going to do that. I, honestly, I, I I literally didn't even give it much thought because I thought, particularly with his, uh, he is managed by Keenan Safoglu. And w- one would have thought with his relationship with Kawasaki that he'd be a direct uh, jump into But he's not. He's going to go to Yamaha, mm. uh, which is really interesting. But he did, he did basically, this was his breakthrough year. Uh, and he did end up having uh, back-to-back wins uh, in Magni Cora, which was fantastic, and it kind of you saw it was coming as the year progressed. He started to become the the obvious threat to to Ray, even though you know he was he he suddenly went from from top fives to suddenly to top threes, and then suddenly bang, he had the the two wins in a row, and, uh, and and a perfect a perfect season to back up his rookie of the year last year. Um, I mean, ultimately, forget what the points tallies were because nobody got near. Johnny Ray, and I don't think we're spoiler alert there um, from anybody else. But, but in that sort of area, he was he was a couple of decent results away from being certainly fourth, and not that far away from Alex Laws in third position. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately he might look back on the season and be slightly disappointed, but. At the start, say, at the start oh, well, of the sorry, year, he would have he, surely at the start of the year he would have taken two race wins. Uh, uh, I, I would have, I'd, I would say uh, that his, based on his career, uh, his own personal goals and his what he would have perceived to be his uh, career trajectory, I would have said he would have been disappointed if he didn't win at least a race and yeah. probably multiple races, which he did. But to be honest, he's probably going to look back and think, yeah, it took me a while to get to get to grips with the bike and it certainly took him a while to to uh, almost to calm down a little bit because yeah. his he has a pretty aggressive riding style he's wonderful to watch yes. he has a little bit of the Brad Binder in him which we'll get to we we'll oh. get to later on uh, he's, he's 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 aggressive he's probably harder on his tires uh, but he is absolutely terrific to watch it'll be interesting to see him on a more neutral 
uh, by, by the, like the Yamaha next year. Uh, but will he have to change his riding style? But but he he you could tell that he got to grips with that. He certainly generated and and uh, honed his his uh, racecraft during the year. And you saw, because you saw basically by halfway, suddenly things started to click with him. Yeah. Uh, he he, he uh, finished on the podium in Jerez. He had, had a, uh, one podium earlier on, but then from Jerez onwards, really, he was beginning to be like a consistent threat for the podium and then eventually leading to the win. So, so yeah, if you, if, if you were to look at uh, Ras Katlioglu compared to the two Yamahas who finished ahead of him, he was faster than both of them, yeah. than both Lowe's and Vandermark, but just not as consistent. Uh, and actually did very well in the shorter races as well. He was one person for whom the Super Bowl race uh, really worked. Uh, uh, from... yeah, that probably goes back to the fact that, that you're less concerned about tyre life. Correct, exactly and, so. And more concerned about ragging it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. So, uh, third in the championship last year, fourth this year for Dutchman uh, Michael van der Mark. Uh, again, not that far away from Alex Laws in second position. His toll uh, on the season or his uh, uh, results on the season showed eight podiums uh, with a win. Eight podia with a win, four seconds and three thirds. I'm not sure about how. Michael van der Mark will categorise this season for Pater Yamaha on the YZF R1. Where do you go? Mickey van der Mark is, uh, in modern parlance, he is what he is. He's, he's fast. He will, ironically, uh, or, or to my point, he, he won one race. He won in Jerez. He beat uh, Ray at Jerez in, in race three. He... Yamaha, in, to some respects, I've always felt like they didn't have a leader in that team. And that's maybe Ooh, why yeah. they went for a, a Razgatlioglu for next year. They feel that somebody who can b- basically be the be the bulwark for that team against, uh, against basically Scott Redding and Jonathan Ray, who I feel like the two leaders, who should be the two effective leaders of Ducati and Kawasaki. Uh, and if we throw in Bautista on the Honda into that mix. But... I feel like with Yamaha, Vandermark is is consistent. He's quick. He he. They know what he's a he's a, a proven formula to some extent. Yes. He's gonna he's gonna get you points. He's gonna always uh, run where he can run. He's gonna basically take what the bike gives him. He's very uh, popular in the paddock as well. And when he does yeah. get a good result, you do get the feeling that everybody goes, oh, well, you know, if I couldn't get the results, uh, Mickey van der Mark has. He's almost yeah. like everybody's second favourite rider, isn't he? Yeah. He, and, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been in this position for a while now because uh, he, was, he was teammates to the, to the late, great Nicky Hayden mm. uh, with, on the Tenkata Hondas. Uh, going back to and of course Nikki got a win in the rain in Malaysia there and, and Mickey never uh, didn't quite uh, manage to do that but but I feel that's kind of where he is he's 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 going to be a guy who gets the odd win Nick Nick would probably be a lot harsher on him than I am in terms of uh, I know who he, he how he feels about good journeymen who don't basically step up to the plate enough he gets very critical of them but uh, I he I feel he's him and Lowe's are probably where they are they're yeah. they're good yeah. they're world class riders but in in that company, uh, they they are getting probably what they can out of their machines. I think what the proof next year will be how uh, 
writers like that respond yes. to, for example, to, to the fact that they have a, a guy, a hungry, super fast, excuse me, super fast uh, a new writer leading the team in, in Rouskatlioglu. So really how they respond, that's fascinating to me. Uh, and obviously, but ultimately, I think he is exactly what his results say he is. And, and you sort of touched on his teammate Alex Law's third position, 341 points against Mickey's 327. Um, I suppose you could say best of the rest for the uh, Pata Yamaha World Superbike rider. Um, the man from Lincoln, uh, extremely experienced now in, in World Superbikes. Nine podia, uh, no wins on the year, uh, uh, lots of third place and one second place. A couple of fastest laps in there for Alex. And you know what, John? And sadly, literally to exactly that point, he's moving to be the second banana at Kawasaki behind Jonathan Ray. Yes. And, and, and the cynic in me might say, well, do Kawasaki know what they're doing? I think they probably do. Do they want somebody who'll be an able support for Jonathan Ray, or do they want somebody to push him? Uh, and I think in in Alex Lowe's, I, this might be being uh, a little bit harsh on him, but I feel that they've probably got exactly what they yes. need and want in him. They've got an absolutely steady pair of hands. He'll be fast. He'll be able to get into the top four or the top three. Is he gonna is he gonna get in the way of Jonathan Ray there winning another title? I distinctly doubt it no I think he is exactly what they want he's he's Gerhard Berger to Ayrton Senna or uh, or you know or, or Eddie Irvine or, to Michael Schumacher yeah or or uh, or what's his name uh, Bottash to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to Lewis ha- Potash to Lewis Hamilton yeah yeah so uh, so that's not hopefully that's not being overly harsh, but I feel that that's that's the, the this is a business and they they made a business decision to to find a rider who uh, who will ably support and not threaten Jonathan Ray. Uh, it does mean a, an all Union flag team for again for for Kawasaki will come on yes, to 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 that when we we get to Jonathan Ray. Um, the story of the season was in fact the story even before the season was Alvaro Bautista. Uh, now. Notwithstanding what you and I have said about World Superbikes and MotoGP, in our minds, being, and I'm sure a lot of fans, being on a very similar level, both World Championships, they just do it with a slightly different flavour. It was sort of intimated that he's making a step down, what, 150 starts in MotoGP, um, former... 125 GP world champion. Okay, that's going back to, what was that, 2006? Uh, that was, I had to look that up there. Um, and, you know, it was, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that he was going to r- run away with the title, but everybody was saying he's going to find it easy. He's always been, you know, pretty good. He knows how to handle himself. He knows some of these circuits, but the ones he doesn't, he'll learn very quickly. And frankly, up until Italy, it kind of looked like, oh, yeah. Everybody. And I was a bit disappointed. I thought it was going to look a bit harder for Alvaro Bautista. And if you if you look up to Mugello, you would say, oh, he's, he's kind of made that... He's made everybody who's looking down their nose at World Superbike, he's, he's kind of justified their their sort of... Sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their, their fussiness about World Superbikes. And... and Imola, by the way, not Magello. It was sorry. It, well, yes, it, it did. Thank you. A track he didn't know. A track he didn't know. Yes, but uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I, we need to just go back uh, 
just let's move this back uh, 12 months. Mm. So just the whole, the genesis of this and, and midweek, keen midweek motorsport listeners will remember that uh, kind of midway through the 2018 MotoGP season, I began uh, shouting where possible that we need to mention Alvaro Batista more because yes. or not, because I'll tell you why, because he was racing for the, uh, the Aspar, the now no longer uh, competing in the top level, the Aspar uh, Ankel Nieto team. He was on a GP17 Ducati in, in 2018. He had, listen to this, he had 11 top 10s on that bike. Yeah. 11, basically almost, uh, almost consecutively. That earned him in Australia when Lorenzo was injured. That earned him a call up to the This was in MotoGP. In MotoGP. Yes, yes. That earned him a call up to the factory team yep. where he absolutely held his own uh, at Phillip Island when uh, Lorenzo was injured, uh, led for a little bit, uh, ran at the front, ultimately finished fourth. Great but, race that was, by the way. Yeah, it was a brilliant race. But he absolutely was a man who you could not argue deserved a shot at the or a place at the top table of MotoGP. I firmly Correct. believe that. To, to, to do what he did on a 17 bike was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, basically, the best uh, independent for pretty much the uh, real independent for pretty much the whole year because I don't really consider Primac uh, fully independent. Fair point. Uh, so he got to the end of the year and voiced his belief that the Yamaha Patronus team uh, – was going uh, to pick him to because mm. he felt he deserved it and he felt it was the right move for him and he was going to get the second seat behind Franco Morbidelli. Uh, he was again pretty vociferous and slightly blown away as most of us probably were when, funnily enough, out of nowhere with no no great season of Moto Two behind him, they gave it to uh, the four year old Fabio Quartararo, uh, which left Batista. Yeah, but what, what 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 did we know, eh? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This this no mark. Nobody's ever heard of. What's he going to do? Yeah. Uh, so so he he quite rightly was was a bit stunned and a bit miffed and and his choice was really wasn't very much. There was barely a ride in MotoGP as MotoGP was slightly contracting. Yes. There was and his choice was really what you you could be a tester or Moto Two, which or you go and get the best very significantly well-paid job you can in uh, in World Superbike and take a step down to take a step forward. Uh, so I never believed for one minute that he didn't have the ability. In fact, as I was vote on, on the show and on social media, I was very uh, happy to uh, proclaim that this was going to be men against boys. Yes. This is going uh, and And for the first... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eleven rounds. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it was like a, it, it, he was comically ahead at races. It was looking very, very easy for him. Granted, Philip Island, of course, Philip Island is a Ducati tracker that he that he knew well. Uh, I think he knew. I think he had been to uh, to Thailand before. Uh, so he won there as well. Uh, but Dex, if you if you if you look even at the end of the season. Right, I, I'm going to leave out a couple of key stats here. So yeah. um, against Jonathan Ray, the, the the series champion, seven poles for Ray, four for Bautista. Did one race fewer because of his injury. Um, 
All right, 34 podiums against 24. That's yeah. that's a key start. 17 wins for Johnny Rear, 16 wins for Bautista. 15 fastest laps for Bautista, race laps that is, 12 for Johnny Rear. The key point, though, is the lack of other podiums because when he, oh, didn't, God, yes. when he didn't win, he fell off. He had that whole series of races where you thought, right, okay, he's not going to do it again. Oh, he has. He's done it again. Yeah, he started in Jerez with the... With the uh, with the uh, race three or race two as they call it because they don't call the Super Bowl yes, race a yes, race, yes. Uh, which gets very confusing. So he he, he basically had the first uh, glitch was was in Jerez. He wasn't classified, uh, but then he kind of got back on the horse a little bit with a with a, a third uh, and another win and and a win in a race where Ray was fifth. So yeah. All good. But then, yeah, not bad. So, okay, things are back to normal. Then uh, it started, the, the wheels, uh, literally not, meta- uh, metaphorically, not literally, <laughs> thank goodness, uh, uh, came off with a retirement and then he missed the podium. Then he's on the podium. Then a 17th. Yeah. Then a, uh, he didn't start because of an accident. Yeah. Then another retirement. And then it really, and and we talked about this on, on the on the. On, on the show and I'm not sure momentum is a real thing I've, genu- I've genuinely never been sure if if momentum is truly a thing in sport if it really really exists but is but, negative momentum a thing then is, well, I is think... negmentum a thing because he had it I remember watching it at, at Laguna City a bit and you thought oh he's, he's great yes finally he's got he said qualifying had gone well he'd looked pretty good around the track and then you go oh I don't believe it he's dubbed it again yeah and it's so many points. If you like, he didn't. He didn't get a single point at Laguna Seca. That is so, so many points to give up. It's absolutely um, incredible. And then either he lost heart, or it, it, it it's got to be a little bit of that. There's got to be a little bit of 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 just him, uh, it, it getting to him mentally. Yeah. Because because uh, you know, as as we mentioned, yes, the. The, the end of the season was entirely dominated by Ray. Yeah. But ultimately, if he'd been able to do what Ray did at the start of the season, which was basically minimize the damage by Correct. finishing second every yeah. time, uh, it would we would have asked more questions of Jonathan Ray. In the end, and this seems, after the stats you've just given us in terms of performance, it seems nuts to think that it was a cakewalk for Ray by the, by uh, but basically by the last four races of the season. Over 100, was... 165 points. And you, you have identified the point I was going to make uh, is that 16 wins for Bautista, four seconds, four thirds. So 10 podia fewer than Ray. 16 wins for Bautista, 16 seconds for Jonathan Ray. Only one third position. So out of 37 races, Jonathan Ray was on the podium, count them, 30 four times and the key stat for me 16 race wins for Bautista 16 second places for him. now it wasn't that he was always second to Bautista that's that would be lovely but well, no that, he wasn't he, but he wasn't far off he, I was going to say that there there was a few times where later in the season when Bautista wasn't doing anything that Jonathan Ray didn't win but most times that Alvaro won Johnny Ray was in second place but let's not forget that points differential uh, in Italy uh, was is it 90 points or something like that it was uh, it, it was yeah. huge it was huge and you know and you we've said this before about drivers and riders in, in other championships Johnny Ray cruised the last part of the season and he didn't I, I, I say that 
you and I and any other motorcycle rider out there probably couldn't have done the third of what he did. But he, he had very little pressure at the end of the year. He still raced hard. He still got wins. But ultimately, Bautista was a spent force by then. Yeah, I, uh, and that really was, was. It's hard to tell if if the team lost motivation to support him, whether he lost, you know, he, he was basically by, with a couple of races to go, we already knew that, that he was going to be off. Like that there was certainly contractual issues and discussions going on. And, mm-hmm. and I'd imagine mentally he wasn't fully committed by the end, but, uh, and we'll see obviously how that changes when he's in a team that absolutely love him and want him to be there uh, and, and are, are paying him very well. And, it, with Honda next year, it'll be fascinating. But but ultimately, uh, Ray didn't have any competition at the end of the year, and that's that leads me to the question that I, I know most of our listeners uh, probably have discussions with each other on forums and in the pub. And I'm going to ask you this: uh, Is does it hurt Ray's legacy? I think next year might be the last. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Next year might be. The first year where there is enough depth mm-hmm. to challenge yep. him uh, in, in quite a while. But is he is he in any way uh, kind of wrapped in some sort of law of diminishing returns if he, dis- if he doesn't attempt it's, to get a, a MotoGP ride before it, his career is over? It's interesting and it's a good point. And how good is Jonathan Rear? That's you know you hear people say that all the time. There's no real competition. This year there was in the first part of the year in Alvaro Bautista, and still he comes out 160 plus points ahead of it. There's a part of me, there is a part of me that that wishes that we'd had a closer run in the middle of the season, and it wouldn't have taken very much more for Bautista to have have saved his season and for him and Johnny Ray to have been battling throughout the whole season. That didn't happen. What, you know, were we going to see Kawasaki come back in the second half of the season or the second two thirds of the season um, on tracks that was better for them? Well, there was an element of that, definitely. There was talk of, you know, what was happening with the balance of performance with Ducati as well and whether that was a big advantage to Bautista. And so there was there was more than just what was going on on the points thing. But I feel robbed, Dex, I feel robbed that we didn't have the Kawasaki Ducati battle that I really hope we're going to do, we were going to have. We didn't have it at the start of the season because Bautista was ran that away. good and ran yeah. away and hid. And whether you yeah. think that was generous balance of performance, Bautista, the bike or whatever, it doesn't really matter because the end result was the same. He ran away and hid. In the middle of the season, he ran away and hid again, but in the opposite direction and he wasn't scoring points. And at the end of the season, it wouldn't have mattered what he did because Jonathan Ray was cruising home to a victory. And in some respects, it was a great season of World Superbikes, but there was so much more that could have happened. And I don't know the answer to now five in a row, remember, for Jonathan Ray um, in and Kawasaki, five in a row for them. If you look at the manufacturers' titles in World Superbike, going back, we get these big clumps of victories. So the last five years have been Kawasaki. Three years before that were Aprilla. Um, then we, and then, in fact, actually we had Ducati and Aprilla sort of duking it out. Then a couple of Ducatis. Uh, so we get these big lumps of of of, of wins for for certain manufacturers. Yeah. 
next year with Honda taking it seriously. Ducati will not take it any less seriously uh, next year because of what you said earlier on about the marketing side of things. BMW, all right, Tom Sykes was the best BMW uh, rider this year. BMW struggling uh, in... The, for the most part of the season, with, a, with an engine in particular that was pretty much bog stock because they wanted to get everything else right. Then when they put the power up partway through the season and, and they felt the reliability was there, they found out their chassis probably wasn't quite as good as they thought it was because they were getting 20 or 30 <laughs> horsepower more out of the engine and also it required a different riding style. But BMW won't stand still. They'll be, I mean, we're straying into preview territory here in trying to answer this question. I think next year it could be an absolute belter. Bautista with a year under him in World Superbikes with a team effectively that's going to be built around him and a bike that's going to be built for him. Is he going to be any worse than he was this year? Well, he can't be for some of it. The first part, is he going to get the same start of the season as he did last year with a brand new bike? It would be remarkable if he did. But you wouldn't count it out, Dex. And I think Johnny Ray's got his work cut out again. Uh, and we've been saying this for so long. Oh, he's finally got a decent teammate. Well, you know, next year, what's his teammate going to be like? Well, you've given your uh, thoughts on that. I, I, I really, I just come away with this season with, oh, I watched every race and thought, oh, right, okay, oh. But ultimately, at the end of the year, I'm just left slightly wanting a bit more. Yeah, the narrative uh, in terms of unbelievable start, uh, the, the rabbit and the hare, like, uh, you know, Bautista goes out of the blocks and mm. then and then the way, and we talked about it during the year, the way it crumbled, the way he, like, just literally unraveled slowly. Yeah, uh, it was awful was, to watch. What, no, it was, but it was absolutely just compulsive it was. viewing. It was amazingly dramatic. But but yeah, in terms of the head-to-head clashes on track, we didn't get them, and I think that's what we need. Correct. That's what this, that's what Moto, World Superbike needs a little bit more of that. A little bit more of what MotoGP has the ability to give week in, week out, which is the t- the riders at the front duking it out together. And and, uh, and I think we are going to see that more next year. Uh, testing will tell us a lot Uh uh, uh, early in the season with where the, the new Honda is and it'd be interesting to see how Eugene Laverty does on yeah. uh, on on the BMW and how hard he'll push Tom Sykes. Uh, my belief to some to some degree is that no team has two top line I agree. riders. I, I think agree. everybody has a one and a two. Uh, and so I... I uh, maybe I'm, I'm being a little unfair, but I feel like every team is constructed kind of the same way. Uh, and I'm telling you, uh, the, the, my little wild card uh, with all of this is if if the bike is right, mm-hmm. I and if he can adapt to it, I really, really am looking forward to seeing what Raz Gatlioglu does on a factory on a full factory oh. bike with the team built around him. He's a young and he's really, really hungry and exciting and it's he's and he's great for the if if the sport granted he's got a hilariously difficult name to pronounce if you're not turkish but uh they, he absolutely is a, a rising star the, and it would be a shame for him to you know to uh uh to head elsewhere yes. if that was to happen because he's a he is he's a terrific terrific uh star of the future and in in simple terms and we'll we, we kind of wrap up with uh i think as as dramatic as the season was this year, I think next year has the potential to be 
way, way more exciting. Way more, more like almost like British Superbike uh, yes. uh, is week in, week out. Yeah, and congratulations, by the way. Take nothing away from Johnny Ray. Yeah, and only Ray who's around you. And he put together a pretty good season when he couldn't win. As we said, he was second. When his major competitor fell off, he scored good points. And he, he won the championship at a canter by the end. So don't think anybody, by the way, that there's any criticism of the Northern Irish uh, dry rider uh, for that. Quick word about uh, Supersport 300, and it has to be a quick word. Uh, Manuel Gonzalez uh, winning by 30 points from Scott Daru uh, in second place. Anna Carrasco in third position. Those three pretty much the class of the field uh, with Andy Vidoya uh, leading the best of the rest yeah, some, some names there that. that I think we've got to, we've got to, we've got to keep an eye on some of those names there Dex Carrasco uh, start of the season had a, had a couple of incidents uh, and it's a very short season they don't run a ton of races so no. she dug herself a, a, a hole that she couldn't climb out of probably as as good as anybody by the end obviously yep. she's the reigning world champion what a future she has i think she has the potential to to become the marquee of the whole a star of the whole of world superbike eventually because i think hmm. uh the the belief is that pochetti are going to put her on a 600 in super sport and, and the, the longer term view is to get her into world superbike on a big bike yeah uh, i will say i want to want to uh upgrade one thing i said uh, during the year about uh, I've always maintained that the uh, least informative valuable uh, session of any motorsport or any sport in the entire world is MotoG Moto3 qualifying I want to revise that Supersport 300 qualifying is literally of no value no, whatsoever absolutely because it's like 800 people all of all of which can win at any one time from the front it's it's almost comically brilliant to watch at times Moto3 yeah, sorry yeah Supersport 300 yeah so uh and with that, we will uh, we will say goodbye to World Superbike until we get to the uh, February well, and Phillip Island. And I can't wait. It's I, not that far away. Just want to mention World Supersport. Top three there were um, the class of the field as well. Gilles Clouzel, uh, another... Uh, uh, French rider doing well. So he was in third by just seven positions behind Federico uh, Carascuolo. Carascuolo. And Randy Krumenak, a hop Suisse, wins it by, what, five points uh, in the end. Uh, just a 12-race season for them as well. Keep an ear open for some of those names as well because uh, there's some interest in all of those riders. Gilles Clozel, um I, I, I don't know what to say about Gilles, but I feel he should be uh, back on a, a, a bigger bike uh, as well. Yeah. One thing I'll quickly say just uh, uh, on for next year on in Supersport 600. Uh, Safoglu recently, uh, who manages Rascal Lioglu, uh, obviously keeps keeps uh, uh, all of the, the Turkish riders uh, uh, close, close to him. And he's basically just moved uh, the Turk, the 16-year-old Turk, Challenge yes. uh, who struggled as a Red Bull rookie in Moto Three, but he has basically signed him for Supersport Six Hundred. I think this kid has got a ton of potential, and I think he he they they wanted him to sink or swim a little bit in in what is an extraordinarily difficult environment in Moto Three, and he he 
showed flashes of, of brilliance, but never could put it together. I'm really interested to see what he does on a on a 600 in Supersport next year, and that's a, something else to, to look forward to. He's a 16-year-old, which is almost hilarious. Uh, you listen, but he'll be 17 next year. You're listening Sorry. to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited Network of channels. We're looking back at two-wheeled motorsport with Declan Brennan. I'm John Hindorf. World Super bike then uh, back at Phillip Island for the traditional season opener. We'll all be very excited about that. Let's move on to MotoGP. And a quick a quick mention, Dex, if I may, for the uh, Moto3 and Moto2 uh, events. Um, John McPhee, uh, best of the British riders, the Honda rider in fifth position, didn't seem to have a lot of luck uh, through the year. And I, I mean, just being in the right position at the right time in Moto3 is is really, really difficult. And, and he just found himself in the wrong battle pack more times than enough to me, although he definitely had the, the pace and his qualifying was, was pretty good too. Tony Arbolino, uh, another Honda rider, uh, was 175 points in fourth position. Marcus Ramirez, another Honda rider from Spain, uh, 183 in third. Aaron Cannett, KTM, second position, the Spanish rider on 200 points so those three four riders not that far apart but no one had anything for Lorenzo Della Porta there was a point where he tried to throw it all away as well and Aaron Cannett got a run uh, together and then Cannett lost his form but ultimately it was the Lorenzo Della Porta and Honda show yeah uh just one thing quickly. If you if you felt my presence, as you just mentioned, then can you tell me what I'm getting for Christmas? <laughs> Bad on the so, uh, <laughs> so let me quickly start with McPhee from, from the British perspective. Uh, I will say he has impressed Patronus enough for them to resign him for next year uh, with the uh, light at the end of the tunnel for him being the potential opportunity if he continues to improve there is an opportunity for him to graduate to moto two in 2021 so he has been uh, solid but you're absolutely right it's almost like just occasionally lacked a little bit of racecraft would get bullied just at the wrong time in a race Spot he'd be in, in the in the lead pack he'd suddenly make the wrong decision or he'd get he'd get bullied down to from fourth to 15th yeah. literally in some races uh, and that's and that is kind of the key. And that's why what Lorenzo Della Porta did was absolutely mind-blowing, uh, was to have the level of finishing almost on a race-by-race basis, particularly uh, uh, once the season kind of got really underway from about France onwards. Uh, but he was consistently fast and v- very, very fast. The fastest rider, I believe, in Moto3, uh, I think the f- two fastest riders are arguably Aaron Kinnett and Darren Binder, but Darren Binder couldn't qualify, and Darren Binder yeah. couldn't keep him keep himself upright. Uh, he's ultimately he's ultimately almost... finished twenty second. Binder yes. on the KTN yes. on on fifty four points, fifty four points against Canet's two hundred and Lorenzo Della Porta's two hundred and seventy nine. For a man, as you say, who had so much promise, uh, and clearly the South African has plenty of speed. Oh, insane speed, but he's got a bad attitude uh, and he's too aggressive. And it'd be interesting to see what happens if he if he can 
can can model himself more on his brother than he has. He has a obviously he has a big career, and we'll we'll get to we'll get to uh, to Brad later on. But but you can know I... what, Dex, you might find he might be one of those riders. I think he is one of those riders. Actually, I don't think he needs to stay in Moto Three very much longer. He needs a bigger bike. His aggression, his riding style needs a bigger bike. That's a really really interesting point and we'll, we'll see what happens that we will absolutely see Kinet in on speaking of bigger bikes Kinet will be taking his speed to moto 2 uh, next year and uh, i would i would honestly say that if there was a lead pack and Kinet was in it i always felt like he was going to threaten and yeah. he had that that uh, basically he went retirement first uh, unclassified retirement, retirement, and then and that basically threw the ch- that threw the, the title away. That that yes. little window at the end of the season when him and Dalaporta were were going at it, and it was absolutely between the two of them. Uh, they came away from Aragon, and Dalaporta had had missed the top ten for the uh, for only the second time uh, he finished outside of the top ten in, during the season. Uh, beg your pardon and then at the end he did when it didn't matter he was 21st yes, in Valencia yes, but literally yes. he could have he could have ridden that race with a hat on smoking a cigar yeah uh, so on a bicycle yes uh, because he'd already won the championship but so I think Kinnett's going to continue to excel Dalaporta might be one of these guys and I know this sounds chronically terrible thing to say but I am not necessarily as excited about seeing Dalaporta in Moto2 as I am Aaron Kinnett. Mm. I think Kinnett has the speed. Uh, by the way, and the one person you should all be watching next year in Moto3 is Sergio Garcia in yes. brackets, not, not the golfer. He uh, finished the season second and first. He looked brilliant. Everything clicked for him at the end of the season. He's about 12. Fifteenth uh, uh, position no, on the year on the Honda, the Spaniard, seventy-six points by far, as you rightly say, the bulk of those coming in the last two races of the year. He's sixteen years old, yeah. and he is—he is absolutely—he is a superstar in the making. I am convinced he's going to make it all the way to the top. He it looks, and as I said, it, like you can tell uh, how overawed he must have been starting the year as a as a teenager and and the whole thing just started to bubble up nicely and you could tell he was getting faster and getting the grips with how you race in that particular formula which is which where the races are absolutely nuts most of the time and but and he won uh in, in valencia to finish the season absolutely remarkable and by the way the combined ages of the last two winners in valencia 31 yeah. Uh, in Moto3. Chan Onchu won in the rain as a 15-year-old in uh, 2018. Garcia won as a 16-year-old. That's, I'll say that again, 31. I'll spell it out like in the football results. T-H-I-R-T-Y-O-N-E. <laughs> is, so, yeah. is, that, is that young Spaniard that you mentioned, is he another Emilio Alzamora product, the Monlau competition? Oh, that's a... That's a I, don't believe so. That's a brilliant question. I'm, I should know the answer to that, but I don't. But that is a great, great question. M- Monlau competition, many of our listeners will know from their exploits in, in GT racing. And in fact, have won the Barcelona 24 hours out, outright um, in Creventic, uh, Hankook 24 hour racing. Emilio Al- Alzamora, who was world champion in 125. Yes, he was. Uh, yes, 18, he was. Eighteen seventy-four. Um, <laughs> he, he's he's the he's the manager of of of, of the Marquez brothers, um, and there's a Moto Two World Championship um, technical team that, that that 
work in the school. Monland competition is a it's like a technical college just outside Barcelona, and Alsamora has been brilliant in 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 spotting talent and looking after it uh, in, in all forms of motorsport. And I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if Sergio Garcia is part of that or, or he's been spotted. I, I I would suggest that if he hasn't, the phone call would be coming uh, rather. Well, I think he may be because he's he's riding he's riding for. Uh for uh, Australia Galicia, ah, which is obviously, and, and, and Mark VDS obviously had had one of the Marquez brothers uh, winning the Moto Two title. Spoiler alert! So yeah, that, <laughs> we, that's something I will, I will, I will do some research, and possibly by the end of this podcast, I may know the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> quick mention from my point of view, and this is uh, this is um, a ter- terribly par- parochial. Um, we saw a bit of him on the UK coverage. Tom Booth Amos uh, on the KTM. Um, cracking season for the young private here, learning his trade topped off with a fabulous run at I've got to feel it was Phillip Island where he got in the points uh, and, and, and did really well a race that, a track that he'd never ridden at uh, before it was a learning year for him um, hopefully he'll find the funding to uh, to continue uh, and 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 uh, Learn his trade, as I say, uh, throughout yeah. the uh, throughout the, the the years to come. Uh, let's move on to uh, Moto Two. Uh, the Triumph engined bikes have have really made their mark, haven't they? Uh, and again, what we're looking at is a top three here, just outside the the, the top three and, and in the top ten. Uh, we've got to mention Ania Battistini, Fabio Di Giantonio, Marcel Schrotter. The German Lorenzo Baldassari, Baldassari on the Calix, yes. then Luca Marini in sixth, Augusta Fernandez on the Calix chassis, uh, which made up the bulk of the top ten. Jorge Navarro in the speed up on the speed up bike. Uh, Thomas Luti is the first person I want to talk about. Great Hop names Suisse. there, by the way. Hop Suisse um, was this his best year? his best opportunity to take a championship. And I kind of feel a bit sorry for Thomas Lute. He's a nice guy. Maybe he's been too nice. Hasn't quite got that killer instinct. Maybe that's why he's in Moto2. Finishes third, 12 points away from the championship. I felt at the start of the year, uh, I I had a a feeling that he he and his teammate, I genuinely thought that... uh, over the course of the season, Schroeder and Ludi were going to basically uh, produce a, a level of performance that would bring them the championship without necessarily dominating. Uh, particularly because I thought uh, he's he's so experienced, Ludi in particular, so experienced. He would get to grips with the bike. He'd manage it uh, from a tire perspective. He'd he would, and he kind of did that. But but uh, you're right that when it came to really securing the big results it ne- he could never really do it like the, the, he would race at the front early in a race and then he'd drop off or he'd come late or it was really you know he had the, the win in a uh, which i was there for at, at circuit of the americas uh and that was a nutty race yeah and that was actually a really really enjoyable race uh but but the new i think in some respects uh and this is kind of the only year this will happen is it everybody seemed to get to grips with the with the triumph in at different rates like for example uh they they did well and then uh the 
Uh, this the Dynavolt team did, did really well, him and Schroeder. And then things began to just ease off as other people caught up. Nobody obviously started the season as well as Lorenzo Baldessari, where he, we talked about it on yeah. Midweek Motorsport. He, they got the, the, to grips with that bike immediately. Immediately. That's the uh, Cito Pons team. Absolutely. And they, he had three wins uh, out of four with a, uh, a, a I was again, I was there. He dropped it on the opening lap, yes. I think, in uh, at Circuit of the Americas. But uh, uh, prior to that, he'd had he'd won the first two races and then went on to, to win in, uh, in, uh, in the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, and then it, the wheels fell off uh, mm. almost entirely. And he couldn't he couldn't qualify well he couldn't get the get the grips with the bike and and this is at a time literally that occurred just as the mark vds team and alex marquez were absolutely wringing everything out of it they They went they were hitting the straps at that point yeah absolutely they they were and it took and and the big problem was in the end that that it took brad binder and ktm uh really half the season to yes. properly get things going. Uh, and, but it's on, they got to, they, like, not long after they got to Assen and really found the speed in the bike. Not long after that, KTM said they were getting out of the, uh, out of the uh, Moto2 chassis business, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and just as he began to, to and he dominated. Had, yeah. had he started the season the way he finished it, he'd have won, he would have won the, the championship with a hat on, smoking a cigar. Uh, in the end, on a yes, wave it, waving at everybody else. <laughs> but but he he because uh, he he took the the championship with the scruff of the neck and and in doing so, and this is again I'm I'm putting the my, my Nick rubber ma- Mission Impossible mask on now. In doing so, I think he completely exposed Alex Marquez for what he is, yeah. which is a very serviceable professional fast motorcycle rider, but he isn't Brad Binder. Uh, and, he, and he's not his brother either. We'll come to Alex no. Marquez uh, in a moment. Uh, I, I'm very excited about uh, Brad Binder moving up the South African, and and I, I know Dex is as well. And I think he'll, he'll, I think he will translate well to the Premier Class. He, he rides the bike on on the throttle. Um, he would have been great in the Big Bang days because he's just got that feel. He doesn't mind the bike moving around, just mind the back wheel spinning up. You might be right. John, he, you might be right. I also think he uh, he uh, wouldn't have stayed within the confines of any of the racetracks if he'd ridden oh, no. uh, one of the 500s. No, no. Because he'd, <laughs> he he'd have been cut. Their, their budget would have been three times as much because they would have had to have been paying for him to get back in through the gates. He'd have been so far so far off. Uh, we'll come back to Alex Marquez in a moment. There's a couple of riders outside the top ten, in fact, that I want to uh, talk about. Uh, yeah. uh, and one is Remy Gardner, the, the young Australian. He was riding yeah. the Calyx. The other is Sam Laws, the, the, the British rider. Uh, Sam Laws rather flattered to deceive this year. Again, um, not in a... In a Similar, but not exactly the same way as as John McPhee. There was plenty of time when Sam Laws had the raw pace, couldn't keep the tyre under the bike, would fade badly towards the end of the race and and then maybe fall off. Remy Gardner, uh, interesting season for the young Australian. Put those two uh, in, in context. Remy started with so much promise. He's very mm. young. Uh, he's, he's still in his early 20s. He really had struggled on on pretty like when he had he's a tech three and tech three's bike really wasn't up to up to scratch and so it was difficult to know 
really how good he was. And then at the start of the season, he misses the his first podium by by barely, uh, I think it was like four thousandths of a second yeah. in Qatar, finished fourth. Then gets on the on the podium in Argentina immediately afterwards, and you think, okay, we're off and running. This is this, and then then it didn't happen. You're waiting for things to happen, and it didn't happen for him. Mm. And to be honest, uh, on a race by race basis, I actually felt like Tets, uh, Tetsuda Nagashima had more yes. pace than he did. Yes, uh, he uh, he might start a little slower, and that's his teammate, obviously. Yes, uh, yes. sorry, Remy. Yeah, but Remy. Uh, just flattering to deceive is a, is a beautiful expression because that's it. Just you know, it was almost there, and then it wasn't. And he, uh, and ultimately, it's hard to know whether it's the team or whether it's him. Yes, he at times he's shown during the season that he has the ability. Again, he's very young. I want to see him. I really want to see him on a better bike. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like uh, he he needs to have a a a, a better bike underneath him. A little bit, and I think he has got absolutely. Uh, he has a chance, but uh, it's just it, it's it's worrying that he. I don't know if it's if it really is uh, mental or not, but he's staying uh, with the one XOX team, uh, and he he will have uh, a new Malaysian teammate next year. They're a Malaysian team, uh, so we'll see. We'll just have to see. Sam Lowe's uh, Sam Lowe's infuriated me because yes. he has the speed. Oftentimes could qualify well. Oftentimes would, would in in sessions would be right up the top, but binned it so many times yeah. and and struggled. Yet I, I I believe that the paddock believes in him because otherwise you don't get the uh, second you don't get the second uh, Mark VDS ride. Good point. Uh, if you are if you are uh, if you aren't capable. All right. And and I think he we'll see what he does next year when he's uh, when him and Augusto Fernandez who's moving over from who won a couple of races and showed some real pace uh, for, for Cito Pons uh, this year. They will be a very interesting uh, package on the uh, on what is a proven team in terms of, of ability to produce a race-winning bike, and that's Mark VDS. So I think uh, okay. Motor 2 is going to be very, very good next year. That's Declan Brennan and John Hindorf. That was Declan and John. And we're talking two wheels. Moto three and Moto two uh, put to bed there for twenty nineteen. Oh, and, and just quickly, we almost forgot the, the championship winner Alex Marquez I, properly. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, at the at the end of the day, the the it was a handful of points from Mark Mar- from Alex Marquez. You you made the point that the form shown in the second half, and particularly towards the end of the season, by his nearest competitor, really it was interesting. And, and now. I'm not a, any Marquez apologist, but what you've got to say by that point, Declan, he was riding actually quite defensively to hold on to his lead at the top of the championship. That's a that's a great point. I think from yeah, he he, he won in he won in Brno and then uh, second in Austria and then from Great Britain. Onwards. I thought the Austria ride actually was was pretty ballsy if I'm honest, because he did hang it out a bit there. He was going handlebar to handlebar. Um, uh, that was that was a pretty decent uh, decent ride. I, I like but that. that. But but that was the John. That was the start basically of 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 the statement of intent from Binder, where Binder Correct. was was the fastest ride. Binder was got, if he's going to win anywhere, he's got to win in Austria on a on a, a Red KTM. Bull KTM yes, on the most Austrian team in the whole world. Uh, so, but if you if you look at the way the the 
the performances dropped off as others were really beginning to get the grips of the bike. And we'll finish with this. So like Marini, who I really like, that's uh, uh, Valentino Rossi's half-brother, uh, a Sky VR46 Academy rider. Two wins in a row. Augusto Fernandez, two wins in a row. Binder, three wins in a row. Yeah. Uh, uh, along with another another win in, uh, at Aragon. Uh, others came to the fore. Marquez absolutely benefited from the solid mid-season performance as others were getting to grips with the bike. Uh, the, the Mark VDS and with the, the Calix, they just, they just got it. But, but as other people, uh, gained more speed, he didn't have it, have enough for them. And I feel he is a perfect, uh, rider from OTGP insofar yes. as he is going to be no threat to his brother. Uh, and I think Honda get all the marketing value, and he's he's a, he's a very personable, charismatic kid. Yeah. But he he's he's no Mark Marquez. He is Ralph Schumacher. Uh, and uh, save for the season, not the one everybody thinks of as far as I'm concerned. It wasn't captured quite as well uh, on TV. But I thought Dominic Agata uh, worthy full up in the air Superman at Phillip Island. In unfortunately, it was in the back of a shot. But if you've seen yes. any still pictures of it, I and have, there were yes. a few, that was extraordinary. And I will say, I think he was hosed by the judges. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> yes, so uh, that was absolutely Yes, the Czech Republic uh, judge only gave him a 2.4 for artistic impression, which uh, yes. I thought was a, a, a bit of a blow for him. Uh, let's move on to MotoGP. Uh, and one thing, uh, one point I want to make about the whole of the MotoGP package, and I, I'm talking about Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. First of all, it's dead easy to follow. Uh, and other championships have started to take note. So you've got 3, 2 and 1, or GP in this case. Uh, they all run on the same weekends, pretty much. Um, and I love what MotoGP have done over the last few years in making some of the practice sessions uh, important for your times, where it fits into your qualifying sessions and, and, and things like that. Because that, again, is all about, in the same way as World Superbikes have, have added that Super Pole race, got the guys out on the track, made track sessions important. This is doing that in a different way, but it's it's been really good. And what it makes me do, Dex, and I'll be absolutely honest, even if I can't watch it, I make sure it goes on the hard drive and I'll watch it later and I'll watch it in order. Sometimes I fast forward through the bits in between, you know, and the ad breaks and things like that, but I'm watching every session. And what I see then is a pattern emerging from the weekend. And I really like that. I really like the way they organise their racing. John, I... I... I will admit that I do the same. I, I, honestly, I n- never in even as a, even up until probably six or seven years ago when I when I was obviously watching F1 religiously, I never really felt like I needed to watch every practice. Yeah. But now with the way they they create this uh, absolutely performance time driven element to practice on how yeah. it basically qualifying for qualifying for want of a better phrase it, it makes every practice session worth watching correct they the way they're presented is excellent uh it it's it's it is it's a brilliant package it's a beautifully presented package on on uh MotoGP's own video pass their own presentations and yes the me, make, making almost every lap count. Yeah, and the gold standard. You're talking about coverage. The, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, the gold standard of onboard camera and uh, and uh, graphics 
packages as well. Easy to follow. The graphics actually add something to the pictures rather yeah. than just being laid over the top of them for no particular reason. Uh, and the onboards. And I like, I love the way that they mix up the onboards where some of them stand still and lean with the bikes. Some of the, them have a gimbal on it and yeah. stay up straight. And I... All of that kind of stuff, the lean angles, the super slow-mos, and the way they use them, it's just extraordinary. And they, you, you don't have lean. to be a motorcyclist of any description, never mind a keen one, to understand how hard these guys are riding and the skill levels that they've got. They And without dumbing it down for the real enthusiasts, I think MotoGP have got it nailed on 100% gold standard. John, I think you made a really good point stuff like i'll give you an example stuff like the uh they'll do a super slow-mo of a uh a bike any bike it could be anybody oh, marquez is probably the best example uh where he's braking hard from a very very uh so from, from a long straight braking hard into a into a tight right or left hander and you can see the wheel hop yeah. they will do a slow-mo where they will have a little breakout graphic telling you literally the distance off the ground that the so what it's doing is it's giving and, ha- and how long it was and how yeah and how yeah. long it, and how far it was off the ground that was yeah that was 25 meters where the back wheel didn't touch the ground yeah. or whatever and, it is yeah. or or they'll tell you the the one that's actually more remarkable is they'll tell you what speed the rear wheel was doing effectively you know in terms compared to the front when it yes. was there uh, you know that's spinning up do, yeah yeah and they do all that sort of thing and what that does is it it as you said, it it's done in a way that's super relatable. That I could bring somebody in who doesn't watch it and say, "Look at this! Isn't this incredible?" And they go, "Yes, it is." Uh, but also, it works for the for the bike rider in, who's a fan because it's stuff. It's aspirational stuff. They're never going to do. They would never be able to do. It's all exactly. it's doing. It's otherworldly. Is sho- it's showcasing the absolutely insane level of talent it takes to do what all of these guys do, whether you're Tito Rabat or whether you're uh, 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 Mark Marquez. Uh, it, uh, the it, lean uh, angle for me is the one. Yes, the lean yes. angle. It now I ride a motorcycle, and as and as I've said, it's not a sports bike, so I, I lean it up, and I, I sometimes even not not often intentionally, but I'll get the pegs on the ground, and that's quite exciting on a on a big whatever it is 400 kilo touring bike don't, don't uh, do it too often no i i, I try i try not i try not to but I'm, I'm told that when people are following me it is quite entertaining um now that's probably it's probably not even very much more than 40 degrees 45 degrees for me right when you see these guys out at you know 59 degrees and 60 degrees as a motorcyclist you think well that's bonkers because at that point you're on the rim you're not even on the tire yeah how, how little t- now th- that's as a motorcyclist anybody who looks in from outside goes what 60 degrees how do they not fall off how have they not just fallen over at that point? And and he, and you know, and Marquez, of course, even when he has fallen off, he doesn't believe he's he's fallen off. I, no, I just think they get the balance perfectly right. I never feel talked down to by any of of what they do in their presentation. And I'm and I'm talking about the visual presentation here, not necessarily what the individual commentators do around the world. Uh, and and I don't think it is too far away for for a casual viewer is there such a thing i don't know but if somebody looks at that they they see the excitement and it's immediate that wow 
how they're doing that. And I, and I think they've got that balance right. Okay, they let, have. Let, let, you, you, let's move on because uh, yeah. I, I wanted to, you mentioned Tito Rabat. He was 20th on the Ducati, 23 points in the air. And Tito Rabat holds a unique position going into next year's uh, championship round in that he is the only rider who has a contract who goes beyond the end of next season. Um, You're I, kidding? No. This came out on Midweek Motorsport recently, and it's a, it's a fantastic um, it's a fantastic start. There are only three Formula One drivers who have contracts that go beyond the end of the 2020 season, but Tito Rabat is the only rider in MotoGP whose contract goes beyond the end of next year. He was five points behind Jorge Lorenzo, who we have to talk about because whatever you think about this year, it certainly hasn't been representative of what Jorge has given to the sport. He's been battling a variety of demons, some in his head, some very much not, and some physical, uh, painful, uh, uh, debilitating injuries that he's had over the years. It's It's not the last season that anybody, let alone Jorge Lorenzo, would have liked to have had in the, in the sport decks. Yeah, uh, absolutely correct. It, it's, it's shocking. It was it was genuinely shocking to see how much his pace had fallen off a cliff, mm. uh, and how how difficult the sport had become for him. And and I, a number of people when he retired uh, on on our, our, our uh, on our Facebook comments and that sort of thing on on uh, had said, well, he didn't have it anymore. And and I I had to that made me think, and I was kind of already thinking about it and I went back and I, and I I crunched the numbers from from last year from 2018 uh from Magello onwards what Magello in 2018 was when he got the seat change which he'd asked for in 2017 the bike was never right for him in 17 this is the Correct. Ducati yeah. in 2018 he finally gets the tank uh the tank slash seat adjustment that made all the difference. He won at Mugello. He was on pole at Silverstone, which, as we remember, didn't happen because yeah. of the weather. From basically that moment onwards until he had his accident, uh, it was, at, uh, I believe, at Aragon uh, later in the year, he was effectively a almost point-for-point point match for Mar- Marquez. Yes. That's last year. Yes. And ironically, he was doing that at a time when he'd already made the move to Honda, he had yes. the, the, the he'd already quit, which is it must. And I know we joked about it, but it must be infuriating for him in retrospect to think. Granted, I'm not sure any of that is to do with would anything would have changed because he was still going to have the accidents that that obviously hurt him. But but ultimately, I just wonder if he if he in retrospect now that he's retired and thinks, you know, maybe I should have stayed on the Ducati for twenty. For 2019, because, and honestly, I'm not sure anybody else uh, would have been able to take the. He might be the only person who could, in 2019, as fully fit, would have been able to take the challenge. But he wasn't fully fit, Dex, and that's and that's the point. And I wonder now, and 2020 hindsight is gorgeous, isn't it? And 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 the man. Whatever anybody thinks, Jorge Lorenzo, don't think he gave up and he he was phoning it in. It might have looked like that. It would have hurt 
hurt him that people even felt like that. The man is a competitor through and through. And at his best was one of the very best. No doubt about that. I just wonder if he'd taken a little bit of time off uh, towards the end of last season and certainly the first few races of this season when he knew, really, he must have known he wasn't quite there and thought, right, what I need to do is go away and get this right. Unless there was no getting it right, of course. And, and that's this, that's what we're starting to hear, that, you know, effectively, he could have sat out the whole season and he still might have not been any fitter. Well, he, he unfortunately, uh, Assen was was basically another accident and it, and it, and it set him back. Massive. And ar- argu- arguably... Not not only did it set him back physically, I think it may have set him back mentally. Yes, and I think and I, I think he kind of as much as said that uh, he felt like after Assen he had the the three race break and then he, he thought you know I've, I've had enough of this now and and uh, and that's kind of what led to it. Uh, you're right, he's he's he was and still is the ultimate competitor, which is why he's stopping because I don't think he may be in a position where on the Honda. Uh, and even after he's recovered, he probably may not be able to compete. And it might, that might be a little bit of that in it, yeah. uh, insofar as that. But you know who he may go down as? And, and this is worth remembering. And I know uh, one of our, our listeners, Matthew Heinemann, pointed this out on the Facebook Collective. Hello, Matthew. Uh, it's, it will be in several years' time, we will look back at the Mark Marquez era, mm. uh, which he may dominate for the next five, six, or oh. even ten years. Yes. And we might be looking at a, cha- a position where the only man to beat him in a straight fight for a world championship was Jorge Lorenzo. Yes. And history will look kindly, I believe, on him uh, ultimately because when we look back at the totality of the Mark Marquez era, which we're in the middle of now, we might be looking at a scene where only one man stopped him clean sweeping his entire career. <laughs> and that's Jorge Lorenzo. And that's, a remarkable thing to say is that, yes, at his best, he went toe-to-toe yeah. with Mark Marquez and he beat him. And we might be saying nobody else ever does that. Yes. Yeah, I, I hope we're not saying the last part of it. I think we certainly will be talking in those terms about Jorge. And in some respects, again, if I was disappointed with World Superbikes, ultimately because we didn't get the the Johnny Rear alvaro Batista kind of battle I, I was sort of hoping that the two Honda riders Marquez uh, uh, with Jorge Lorenzo to quote unquote keep him honest but from the start of the season it was obvious absolutely obvious that that was not going to st- that was not going to happen and, and and that to me was one of the bigger disappointments of, of the year um, let's talk about the guys at the sharper end of the field, as we obviously wish, wish Jorge Lorenzo very well indeed for whatever he decides to do and wherever he pops up again. Um, the find of the year was undoubtedly the Yamaha rider Fabio Quattararo, um in his first season of MotoGP, having, I think the stat is he's never actually won he crossed the line once first and then had it taken away. I don't think he'd actually ever won anything before this year. He's really made a mark in um, MotoGP. He's reignited the passion for two-wheel sport in France. And the Le Mans race, by the way, the, Le- the French Grand Prix at Le Mans was extraordinary. And he rode brilliantly there for not much uh, reward. 
Um, if you're looking for a name for the future, he has got to be it. He has a, a riding style that is exciting. He's a thinking rider beyond his years and his experience, and certainly the win ratio that he's got now it doesn't at all bear out how he, I think he rode this year. And more importantly, perhaps most importantly, Dex, he's got Mark Marquez worried to the point where he wants to play mind games with him. He came from nowhere, John. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I. Uh, well, we've uh, mentioned the fact that we all said, "Who?" Yeah. Well, yeah. To, to some extent, he gets he gets the ride with the Patronus Yamaha team, a very much a satellite team, very much from the outside looking in as a number two to uh, to uh, Frankie Morbidelli. Mm-hmm. He. As we said, pulled the rug, the metaphorical rug, not 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 actual rug, uh, from under uh, Alvaro Batista, torpedoing his his immediate MotoGP future, and it's a bit of a head scratcher thinking he's twenty years old. What yeah. he's he's barely proven himself in Moto Two. What's going on? And you know he starts from pit lane in in Qatar and actually rode brilliantly uh, from pit lane in Qatar. And you think, well, what's and then you know uh, he's top tens and and then suddenly it just uh, there's little hints throughout the early part of the season well yeah he looks pretty good and then it just begins to click and it suddenly becomes for the uninitiated that this kid is not only quick but he's very quick and very special and from a rookie perspective what he did particularly at the end of the season uh, was absolutely uh Almost incredible. You're right about uh, him coming from nowhere, though, Dex. He he was in MotoGP uh, in 2015, uh, and he did. He, he took a pole, uh, a couple of poles that year. He, he took in Moto Three. In Moto Three, he, he got yes. a, he got a podium, but no wins. He went up into Moto Two in 2017, and uh, he he's, he's he's counted as one victory, but I'm almost certain that that was taken away uh, from him. Um, unless he had two and, and and the second one was taken away. Uh, so he had a win and a second in his time, in his two seasons in in Moto2. So so you're right. He, he hasn't, he hadn't really <coughs> shown anything to think that he was going to be as good as he was. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a you could say that they took a risk in signing him. Like uh, Batista to me would have been, the safe pair of hands for year one of a of a new team, but they they decided to go with a rookie and uh, and Franco Morbidelli, who had one year on the Mark VDS Hondas from so they, he was on a 2017 Honda in 2018. Franco Morbidelli was uh, and 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 nobody could ride that bike. Uh, famously, we talked about this. Famously, Tom Ludy was his teammate. Uh, that he was struggling very badly. He was like bitterly complaining about the bike. They handed him the traces from that track from the previous year from Mar- Marquez. He looked at them and just said, this isn't helping and got very angry. <laughs> so it was, nobody could make the Mark VDS Hondas work. And this says a lot about Mark Marquez and we'll come to oh, that yeah. later. Uh, so, so he struggled as he was only slightly better than Tom Ludy on the Mark VDS the previous year, but they saw something in him from his Moto Two Championship win in 2017, and uh, and obviously with a, I'm, I'm sure there was a little bit of the whole VR46 club yes. uh, thing going on where he got the ride, 
but because uh, he's a part of 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 the VR46 uh, program, uh, Valentino Rossi's proteges. So he gets the ride. You could understand that. Certainly less of understanding uh, Quadraro as a teammate, and I certainly expected Morbidelli to be the quicker of the two. Yes. And initially, for a little period, that was the case, and then it flipped, and the difference was marked. Yeah. And and. You, it became apparent that Yamaha needed to give him the the the, the 20, 2019 bike with all the updates and blah 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 and and suddenly towards the end of the season, uh, you know, uh, he's second. Uh, then he's uh, in San Marino. He's fifth at Aragon, second in Thailand, second in Japan, second at Valencia. You know, he the the Dutch Grand Prix was probably the breakthrough uh, mm-hmm. where he led a considerable amount of the race uh but but and in the end beaten by uh by Vinales and by uh and and by Mark Marquez but he he was and he proved to himself that he deserved to be there and i think uh he'd come off a second place at, at Catalonia the week before but but Holland was different he led led for a, a significant chunk of the race and just i uh, probably more to himself than anything else he went yeah I can do this now, even though he he had arm pump issues and yeah. and uh, but he's without question, as you alluded to at the start, he is without question fifth this year. But he is the man oh. who I firmly believe Mar Marquez is now waking up every morning thinking about how I'm going to beat. Yeah, it's not Dovi, despite runner up in the last uh, uh, two world championships. It's not Vinales. I firmly don't believe it's not Rossi anymore. No, uh, it's not Petrucci. It's 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 Fabio Quartararo. I think that uh, that's that. There's your 2020 preview. Yeah, <laughs> it's, ab- uh... absolutely right. Uh, we'll get to the top four in a moment, which were all four different motorcycle manufacturers in yeah. the Riders Championship. Let's go to the manufacturer who wasn't in the the top four. That's KTM. Paul Spargaro in eleventh position. KTM, big time of change for them. Eleventh position, as I say, for Paul. Actually, the bike got better through the year and Miguel Oliveira um, start to get to grips with it as well. Can KTM do enough to challenge the established makes, as you would call them over the last few years uh, and, and have they, I mean, they've, they've thrown everything behind it. That was the decision part way through the year. Yeah. The, the decision to move focus away from the lower categories will definitely make a difference. And incidentally, uh, KTM's Moto3 program will be rebranded as Husqvarna. I don't know yes. if you're aware of that, but that's, yes, a, that's, that's a, right. which is quite cool. Uh, but Paula Spargo was the key to this insofar as the bike, if you feel, began to, was being molded to his to his style and the style of, of Miguel Oliveira and not Zarco's. And that's obviously one of the issues that Johan Zarco had. Uh, it, he struggled to ride the bike. Aspargo, it, it doesn't necessarily reflect it in the in the results, but the the there was a tangible level of week by week improvement with that Agreed. bike. Particularly later in the year, you began you began to see, yeah, this is now qualifying better. It's racing, excuse me, it's racing better. Raced a lot uh, better, a lot. Yeah, better. raced a lot. Yeah, and he is, I think he's a really really. Uh, solid uh, pair of hands to 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 manage that program but they need a star rider and Zarco clearly 
regrettably for and speaking as an absolute Zarco mm-hmm. worshiper, clearly wasn't the, the right person with the right frame of mind to ride that bike. I I think what might happen is I might I I believe in my, deep down that I think that Brad Binder will be the man to to drag this team consistently into the top ten. Mm-hmm. Aspargo's done a great job, and but ultimately. What they won't be short of is investment and development because they are throwing so much money at this. If, uh, it if, is, they, if Dex, you could persuade him to do it, would you get Jorge Lorenzo into KTM as purely a development rider? No, uh, I would. I would save my money, uh, and I will. And this is not a, a theory that hasn't been bandied around the paddock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will save my money, and when Mark Marquez is out of contract, I will literally unload a truck on top of him in a cartoon style until so he, he says, has no choice. Yeah, until I, we give him so much money that he and that's uh, and if I was a betting man, uh, I'll say that's what's going to happen. He's going to finish his, his con- current contract with Honda. He'll demolish end of next the, season. That is, and the next, next season, season he'll he'll demolish the, the season, the championship again, and then he'll do. What Rossi did when he left Honda, and he he will go to Yamaha. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Rossi went to Yamaha and took a uh, a balanced but not fast enough bike and turned it into a consistent race winner. And he won again and again and again on and it. That and that could which, be Marquez's tenth championship if you accept that. And that I think I I think it would be also his calling card for his career. I yeah, think if it, it would be if he went there, if he leaves Honda and goes to KTM and turns that into the dominant, you know it's all him, which I believe it is anyway. Yeah. But, and I think that is absolutely possible. So so ultimately, KTM's issue right now is, is that, that they, they can do as much development as they want, but they need a Premier League uh, rider on the bike. And I, I really like the Aspar- both of the Aspargos, but you need, if you're going to sit at the top table, if you're going to be one of those riders mm-hmm. or one of those teams, as you said, Honda, Ducati, Yamaha, Suzuki in the top four. Yeah. If you want to break that hegemony, you need an absolutely top line rider. Right. I need, I need one line on, on each of, of these uh, riders. Uh, you've mentioned a bit about Frank Morbidelli, so we'll, we'll whoosh back. Cal Crutchlow, ninth position in the championship. Uh, the best of the Brits in MotoGP. Um, doesn't have much competition uh, for that. Ninth position for Cal. Struggles with injury, particularly towards the end of the season. Flashes of brilliance. Mm-hmm. First, I think ultimately his frustrations lie with the fact that the bike is a real handful if you're not uh, a rider <laughs> who, who's, whose name rhymes with Bark Barquez. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a struggle. He's been vocal about it. it the, the, he, Honda riders have... It's a tough bike to ride if you're not Mark Marquez because they've built a bike for Mark Marquez. Marquez. Yeah, exactly uh, so. Uh, Ducati, yeah. Jack Miller, eighth position. Um, Jack Attack, always exciting. Australian, a great Australian character. A uh, lot, of, lot of following in the paddock. One line on Jack Miller, eighth in the championship. Massively popular. It's all moving slowly in the right direction. He's going to have another year on the Primac bike. Uh, the the podiums are beginning to come. He is, still has tire issue problems. He still has issues just knowing how to manage throughout a race. I was in Austin for the for the for the podium there, which I feel he values more than he values his race win in the wet for Mark BDS yeah. at, at Assen. I think is the first podium 
uh, on the Primac bike that year was such a huge, huge uh, uh, breakthrough for him. I think Ducati, through loyalty after Petrucci won, I'll get we'll get to him in a second, but after he won uh, in, in, in the Italian Grand Prix, they gave him his, his multi-year contract. Mm-hmm. Jack Miller probably now is is riding with a chip on his shoulder in the Primac, on the Primac bike because he feels that was probably and should be his. Eighth up to really second position, third position at least. Uh, very much of a muchness, 40 points, uh, just over 40 points between them, to be honest. Seventh position, uh, Valentino Rossi. I, I, one of the reasons I thought we'd better do the top 10 is I could not think of doing Mortal GP review without talking about Valentino Rossi. He, he wasn't exactly a footnote this year to the championship, but he wasn't far off it. Um, flashes of brilliance there for the doctor on the Yamaha. But you do feel that's yeah he's, he's not on the back nine he's not on the back nine he's putting out on the 18th of his career yeah <laughs> yeah know? okay and, so, and, yeah. and that's is that that's all you really need to say uh, does somebody need to say it to him valentino it's time to go mate because uh, yeah, could he potentially do damage to his reputation by staying a, an extra year or an extra couple of years no i i, I i'm obviously the biggest valentino rossi fan in in, in the known universe and and uh he 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 gets to go on his terms. He, uh, when Fair when point. you've when you've rescued MotoGP and you've absolutely single handedly built the sport over the last two decades, he was he, he, right he, now, he, in some respects he was MotoGP. Yeah, he can do what he likes, and I, I and he's he's in a position where I can guarantee you he's like it's like michael jordan when he played with the washington wizards if this makes any sense he had flashes of the old michael jordan but and convinced himself that he still had it in him and wanted yeah. it and you had so yeah. much competitive fire burning in him that he had to play he had to commit a retirement valentino rossi has so much competitive fire in him that there is no way he is leaving uh, until he's ready to do it. He still feels he can develop the bike and he can still race for podiums or win. I'm not sure he'll ever win again. Uh, mm, I'd like to think that maybe... Yeah, I think last year... I'd, uh, uh, this year coming should be his, his last year. I think it should be his swan do song. You think, do I'm you think, that, seriously, do you think that his interest in other forms of motorsport, which he's always had... That could be the catalyst. He's talking about, you know, he's recently done the car swap with the the vehicle swap with uh, Lewis Hamilton. Um, I think it would be great. He, he's 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 tried his hands at endurance racing before. He's going to do that again. He's talking now openly about, about aiming Le at Le Mans and having something else to aim at. Now, he, he's Valentino Rossi. I wouldn't bet against it, but... Even Valentino Rossi can't just go to Le Mans as a one-off and expect to do well. So that means he's got to take it seriously. He will take it seriously because that's how he is. And that that might ease him out, mightn't it? Yeah, I I think so. I think two things will. I think uh, the development of his Sky VR46 program in terms of uh, race teams and, and developing a program that will operate at the top level. I think that will help him when he can stay absolutely involved in MotoGP at that level. And you're absolutely correct. He will need to keep the, the he will keep the competitive forest burning by doing uh, some car racing, absolutely, or rallying or a mixture of both. He can do whatever he likes. And just uh, with regards to uh, putting some perspective on, on finishing seventh with 174 points, mm. uh, you know, he almost won at Coda, uh, 
he had the two podiums there late in the season. He he led races again. Uh, his his finishing positions pretty much week in week out were actually pretty remarkable. Yes, and he's in his forties. <clears throat> let's not, <throat> let's not for, let's not forget that. Well, that's, so, it's extraordinary. He he is a force of nature, and I like the idea. I I. I I hadn't thought of it that way, Dex, but I absolutely agree with you. He's got to go on his own turns. Um, we've mentioned Fabio Quattararo in fifth. Sixth was uh, Danilo Petrucci for Ducati, just two points ahead uh, of the doctor. Yeah, uh, as we said at the start of the season, Danilo Petrucci potentially signed as plausible deniability for Gigi Delina's uh, dodgy tire cooler, in inverted commas, uh, that they use because he's a bigger lad. Yeah. And, uh, and, but... That I was the aerodynamic device in front of the back wheel right, for those yes, that didn't know, right. yes, the yes. Ducati. So, so, Danilo Petrucci 100% deserved that ride and 100% deserved a multi-year contract. He didn't get it till after he won in Italy and ironically, metaphorically, he took his foot off the gas because mm. the the results dried up a little bit then. He, he was, you know, he, he was top six all the way up to his win and then was third... In fact, I I might be wrong, but I think after his win in Italy, I think he was second or third in the championship. Mm. He was uh, he was ahead of ahead of Davi. No, he wasn't. He was just behind Davi. Yeah, he was. Uh, but then then the results kind of uh, trickled off. Uh, uh, to be honest, they did a little bit for performance uh, for the fact that Ducati uh, late in the season wasn't great. But he struggled after he got his his multi year contract. He'll have his. I think he probably needs to have a look at himself for next year regarding uh upping his game yeah. but i'm delighted he got the win because it's something he deserved over the from for the performances over the t- past two or three years with primac and uh and he is uh on his day has the beating of his teammate uh, just his day didn't come enough times uh during the season i, I like the idea of a, a win being uh a bit of a long service award and, and i kind of agree <laughs> agree with that fabio quattararo yeah. in fifth we've spoken plenty about so let's get into that top four suzuki yamaha ducati and honda fourth up to first. Alex Rins, the Spaniard, 205 points, only six points away from Maverick Vinales, who was third on the Yamaha. Let's uh, let's talk about Alex first. This season for Rins was about right where he should have been, I think. I think the one thing that let him down was on a couple of occasions uh, in the middle of the season, he had, it was uh, in Assen and uh, uh, in Germany, he, uh, he, he binned it when, uh, and that was probably uh, due to losses of concentration, which is unforgivable. But basically I believe that Suzuki in his hands, uh, achieved its optimum performance for the most part it, it, it lacks horsepower it has it stops and the, turns very very well indeed yeah it doesn't go fast that's the problem no. yeah they're the stopping and if they could they have to surely suzuki now not talking about alex but let's talk about suzuki surely they have to throw some money in an engine program because they need a few horsepower now then again that might show up the vagaries of the chassis but that bike looked so good and it didn't matter it's, it's clearly good on its tires it didn't matter what the heat, the cold, the wet, the dry, what tyres were on it, it always looked good stopping and turning. It didn't yes. look so good. Um, it, it even comes out the corner pretty well. It gets the power down, but it, it, it just doesn't have the horsepower. Yeah, and 
ultimately that's the biggest problem. And I, I, I just wonder, uh, as almost ludicrous as this sounds, are Suzuki being a relatively small motorcycle yes. company, uh, don't have the ability or the desire right now to run a satellite team. They don't. They don't have the ability to, to to add two more bikes, two more sets of data. You know, uh, basically doubling their ability to to gather information and to work out what they need to do uh, with regards to. And yes, the obvious answer is more horsepower, as we've discussed in pretty much every facet mm-hmm. of motorsport, whatever mm-hmm. it is. There literally isn't any any. Uh, substitute better so yeah there's no substitute there's no better resolution to anything than giving it more horsepower which is almost comical to say but it is the absolute truth uh granted the horsepower has to be usable correct but that chassis is that chassis chassis is so beautiful and so balanced that the thing is so good on its tires and 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 has so little tire wear and combined with the way rinse rides the bike it is it's a match made in heaven give him more horsepower and it might change a lot yeah if you look at his race wins uh Particularly Britain, where amazingly enough, uh, the highest track temperatures of the year uh, in MotoGP were recorded at Silverstone that yeah. year or that 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 week. Uh, uh, race week, race day, in fact, w- was the highest race day track temperatures of the season. The track was really slick. It was really, really bad it, it on was tires. Greasy, and, yeah, yeah. And he, what's amazing about his performance at that race was when you go back and look at it is he did he played the mind games at Marquez they'd had a bit of they'd had practice issues at uh, Bruno where uh, Marquez had done that thing that really really annoys people he trickles around behind oh. them you know doing that thing and in the end where uh, Rince blocked him through through the shoulder into effectively coming into pit lane mm-hmm. and uh, and basically had a few words so they they were coming off uh, a that was that was only two races earlier so they're coming off a bit of a, a set two uh, and so you watch rinse in that race marquez goes by him uh, at one stage there's about 15, 12 14 laps to go marquez goes by him uh and kind of slams the door on him like basically says i'm here you know i'm uh, uh Remember what what happened in uh, in in uh, in Bruno and and kind of it physically intimidated him a little bit. Mm. It didn't bother Rince in the slightest. No. Rince knew Rince knew what he had underneath him that day and how good the bike was to the point where, as we've talked about this, you said, "Oh, he set him up on the on the on the penultimate lap," and he went, "No." He got the laps wrong. He thought yeah. he was going for the win. Yeah. To the and and he did. He got yeah. across the line uh, just ahead of him. Marquez got by him, but he did it again. And yeah. he did it again around the outside of Woodgate on the last lap. So that bike, that shows you everything you need to know about that bike in really testing conditions for the tyres. Uh, I, but- I really hope Suzuki continue to develop that uh, motorcycle. Um, uh, two extra bikes, that's an absolutely spot-on um, synopsis. Um, Yuan Mir... Um, Spanish he's, rider, he, you know, outside the top He's term, young but, and small, and dev- like he was. A, he'll get better. He'll get yeah, better. They they knew they knew that he they did literally didn't need any indication from his Moto Two career that he was going to get into Moto uh, Moto GB because basically from his Moto Three the, the talent was obvious from his Moto Three championship in 2017. In 2018 was just a year for him to basically get bigger and be more comfortable on a bigger bike. Yes. And 2018 again. He's got the breathing room to learn how to ride uh, these bikes better, and he will. 
Uh, and uh, he's an insanely talented and very, very young. The first time, honestly, John, I don't know if I told you this, but the first time I ever saw him was uh, uh, in the car park at 2017 uh, on the first morning of CODA. And I thought to myself, oh, the Leopard team must have some engineering students working with, with them. Oh, no, no, hang on. No, no, he's not a child. That's, that's, that's Juan Mir. So uh, he looks about 15 and, and he's 20, 21. So. Oh, all right, listen, we've got to crack on. Um, we've talked quite a lot about Mark Marquez and Andrea De Vizioso, but we'll go back to that in a moment. Maverick Vinales uh, learned his trade in some ways at Suzuki. Yamaha as teammate to Valentino Rossi. Some might say even this senior partner in terms of pace. Certainly his... his championship position in third with 211 points although you know 50 points and more behind second and half the points of Mark Marquez Maverick Vinales Yamaha just he's not the whole package mm. when when he is the whole package he wins yes uh, when no but he is a ser- but seriously <laughs> good, when when, when he when he qualifies well uh which he doesn't do all the time he he He's ultra competitive. When he when he doesn't dig himself a massive hole at the start of races, he's not, and that happens way too much. And that happened throughout this season. Has he learned that from Rossi? Rossi's never been a great qualifier. No, uh, yeah. Well, he struggled with the bike. It goes back to uh, testing at the end of last year and at the start of this year, where where uh, Rossi said the bike we've so much work to do with this bike, and, and it needs more horsepower, and it's not right. And Maverick said, "Yeah, I really like the bike. It's fine." And it's like, well, what if you? somebody's wrong here and Maverick actually started the season slowly and he is he again, one of these uh, riders like... and we've seen drivers like this in the past as well who's fast but doesn't know why he's fast so he just if the bike's got a problem I'll, well, I'll, I'll ride around it we've seen drivers like that in the past and it makes them very spectacular yeah. but it makes them inconsistent as well and that is kind of what you're saying about about Maverick on his day he's as good as anybody but he does his day's not there and nobody really knows why it's not coming around so yeah, often because this is a competitive you're, you're, championship that's absolutely correct that's absolutely correct and there there are times in races and it's very frustrating if you're a, Mar- a Maverick Vinales fan there have been times in races uh, this year particularly where uh, as tyre wear has really really begun to you know to to, to slow a pace down, for example, during a race, he'll be eighth and the fastest man on track. You know, because because he literally can't work out where to place the performance window within the, the, a race distance to get the most out of the bike at the right time. And it's and when he does, he as I said, when he does, he can win, and he has won. Uh, I do feel, I do feel that, and we talked about this at the time that uh, the accident at Australia when he tried way too hard to, yeah. to go back by Marquez was just a sign to me that Marquez has the beating of him when he wants to. Yeah. Marquez was rolling off the throttle on the front stretch uh, there every lap until like two, two laps to go until he literally, it felt like Marquez was riding alongside him down the front stretch, straight looking at him. Uh, before the, <laughs> it felt like, like he was almost flicking him the V's, to be honest. Yes, I mean, it, it, it was one of those things where you're saying, come on, son, uh, are you are you really trying? And I agree with that. And a lot of people said, well, better that he should fall off trying than just follow him around. I'm, I'm not sure 
to be honest. I oh, think it would have been oh, my, I think it would yeah. have been better for him to steer stay on the bike. Right, we must move on. Uh, Andrea Davizioso. Remember, we're back in the mist of time. He was a one two five world champion, second in the championship this year. Uh, two hundred and sixty nine points for the Ducati, uh, ridden by the Italian against four twenty to the eight time winner, uh, Mark yes. Marquez. Dovizioso, we like him. He's pretty well liked by everybody. Everybody likes his riding style. They seem to like the way he races. He's not a dirty rider, but he wasn't Mark Marquez either. When he has the bike underneath him to beat Mark Marquez, he'll take it to him. Mm-hmm. And what, what I love about him is over the past two to three years, we've seen this. We saw it in Austria this year, and we've seen it elsewhere over the last two or three years uh, at different points in the season, is that he is not phased or in any way by Mark Marquez. He just doesn't sound uh, – or he doesn't, he doesn't get close enough to him on enough occasions on yeah. this bike – Ducati aren't giving him a bike that can consistently race Mark Marquez close enough to to for him uh, to really uh, intimidate Marquez or for him to to take advantage of the fact that he's not intimidated by Mark Marquez and that must be very str- frustrating. They've they've had a, a number of problems with, with tire life with qualifying this, you know, from session to session. You've seen uh, variances in in their ability. He's best of the rest right now because uh, he's consistent on yeah. a pretty fast bike. But ultimately, at the end, he will be remembered. Here lies Andrea Divizioso. He wasn't Mark Marquez. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but mind, that'll be a lot of epitaphs uh, yes. in, 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 as you said, possibly up to the next decade. That leaves us only with um, Mark Marquez, the 93 bike, taking his eighth World Championship, six of which are in the top classes. Here's another rider who goes back far enough to have been a 125 World Champion. He backed that up with a Moto2 Championship and then has taken six in the top categories. 56 MotoGP victories, 82 uh, overall. Uh, In terms of podiums, how about 95 MotoGP podia? Uh, Pole positions, 62. Uh, in that as well. And by the way, he's not bad in the race as well. He's taken 56 fastest laps just in MotoGP, by the way. The big eight-ball celebration I thought was fantastic. He started to develop the kind of... um, personality that I think MotoGP needs. A lot of people didn't like him. They were a Rossi fan and not a Marquez fan, but he started to develop that personality and the playing to the crowd, Dex, that, that, he, that he, I think he needed to. And in some ways, that has ameliorated the, uh, the domination and people still think there's entertainment to be had but there's a dark side to his character as we've discussed with the way he messes about in qualified i just don't understand the need for that part of his his uh his his makeup right now i i when you look at just look at his results john look at his results this year he he fell off fell off at the at the uh at the Left-hander at the end of the back straight in Coda. He did that thing that Senna did at Monaco in 88. He obliterated people and clearly decided, I am going to just continue to go faster and faster, and I want to lap the field. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sending a message, and he fell off. He fell off. It was the one retirement. The rest of the time, 
in 2019, he finished first or second. That is absolutely mind-boggling. There's never been a season like this, ever. This is incredible. But yet, something we should be absolutely celebrating uh, and and there's so so much of Mark Marquez to enjoy, like the fact that he he finishes Grand Prix and he stands up on the pegs and does the floss like a twelve year old. You know, it's just it's brilliant <laughs> stuff. Stuff like that is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I love it. There, but but the side of him that that seems to need to have to create an enemy or 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 has to somehow underline uh, his his position by, by, uh, you know, eliminating what he sees are the perceived threats is so weird to me. Is this the flawed genius thing? It happens in other sports as well. You know, John McEnroe uh, had to get himself riled up to play at his best and argued with umpires and, you know, argued line calls, which he would never get away with nowadays. Michael Schumacher did weird things, mainly because, uh, is it because they've got so much additional brain power that frankly being that much better than the field they've got to do something else with the the remaining processing power that they've they've got inside i don't know but it's not unique to marquez marquez is benetton and ferrari era schumacher without question i i think in terms of his his destructive capabilities to the rest of the field mm-hmm. to embarrass them but also his need to win in every aspect qualifying he needs to he needs to win he needs to win in qualifying he needs to win in practice he needs to win the mind games he needs to screw with drivers uh, riders heads in practice and that to me it seems unnecessary because if all the other stuff just from a pure and I've said it before from a pure performance level if he just goes out and focused on right I'm going to be fastest I'm going to be fastest in every session I'm going to be fastest in the race I'm going to sit behind somebody till it's go time and then I'm going to go you think back to Assen in 2018 it was for uh, three quarters of the race it was a Moto3 race. It was the best yeah. motorcycle race I have ever seen. It was the best top-level race of any sort I have ever watched. And then Mar- Mar- Marquez just so he went, yes, this has been fun, lads, but Bye-bye. I'm going to go and win now. And that's Do you know what it's like, Dex? And you don't, you, you've not done this before because you don't ride motorcycles. It's like when you go out with a group of people and you, you, know, you keep it down to smallish groups when you're on the road if you're sensible. Maybe five or six bikes, even if there's 20 of you out there, you split them into groups. And you're in a group and you're doing, you know, you're going well, the road's snaking out in front of you and you're enjoying yourself. And then uh, you stop for your tea break or whatever and you know you have a bit of a run around and then somebody in your group looks at their watch and thinks oh I need to be home because I've got to pick the kids up or the missus is coming home (laughs) and they just disappear into the distance and you go hang on I've been riding as good as this guy all day I've been keeping up with him and within a mile on the road he's gone and you can't see him and you think oh my god that's Mark Marquez. How how bored must he have been sitting behind me or just in front of me or third in the group? <laughs> All that. And that's that's what Mark Marquez is. And everybody else must just... Which is why I agree with you. I do not understand why he feels the need to do the other stuff, in particularly in qualifying, where he just me- messes other people up and annoys them, quite frankly. And he, yeah. get, he gets away with it because he's Marquez. At some stage... 
there is going to be a race director that's going to say, right, you've got a 20-place grid penalty for that. And and, well, th- and then we'll have to see him ride through the field, and that'll make it fabulous, of course. So we'd all go, yay, for that. But I, I, it's just that character trait um, that I, I just... It's when you're that good, you don't need to do that. When you Leeds United in the 1970s, you don't need Billy Bremner to be tackling people around the chest. When you're Michael Schumacher, you don't need to be, and you're that good, you don't need to be parking the car to stop people getting a better lap than you or driving Damon Hill off the track. I, I just don't understand why people who are that talented from someone who is not talented in any way at anything when you've got that much talent why do you also have to be a bit of a you know what and and john what makes it even more remarkable is it's it's not like he needs to do this for example it's not senate and prost he doesn't need to crush his teammate uh mentally or or attempt to do so it's not even like rossi and jorge lorenzo when they were at yamaha Mm. he doesn't have a teammate this entire team is built because of the of of the the way the bike is built, the built bike is built for him. Honda management have already said, you know what? This is his bike. Uh, Cal, if you complain about it, you just have to learn to ride it faster. Yeah. They are not building a bike for anybody but Mar- nope. Marquez at nope. Honda. Nope. Uh, Alex is not going to be a threat. Alex is Ralph, Ralph Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably the best analogy we can come up with in almost every respect for Mar- Marquez. This is his team. It's his bike. It's everything is for him. He doesn't have to worry about anything else other than just going out and, and winning. He has almost every, almost everybody else in the field beaten before he gets to the track. Yeah. Uh, so, fi- really- final point. Final point. You said it could be going on for another decade. What needs to happen to break Mark Marquez's stranglehold uh, on MotoGP? Well, uh, I think logically. He needs to do that career challenge thing that that Rossi did with the you moved to Yamaha and I then like that. Rossi did again when he moved to Ducati and where it failed. But Rossi felt that was the 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 move to to prove that he could do it again. And I feel Mark Marquez ultimately when he wakes up at the end of 2020 yeah. with another world title. Uh, and and he wakes up to the beeping sound of the truck backing up to pour the money into his driveway from well, KTM. Well, you know what's going to happen? Yeah. KTM are just going to brick him into his house with brand yeah. new banknotes until yeah. until he says, "Okay, stop now. I put the send me it through on a fax, or you know, I'll print it out and sign it, and I'll push it through the window, and then I'll start clearing all your money off." That yeah. that's well, with Repsol potentially leaving Honda, yes, which uh, and Repsol getting to the point where they don't feel they can pay the salaries of the riders anymore because they're so, well, particularly they can't pay Mark Marquez's salary. Uh, there's a few things going on at play. And with the Red Bull connection with Mark Marquez, I, my thought is from a legacy perspective, I think it would be the best thing he could do would be to go to, yes. a, to a project team like KTM yeah. or even Suzuki, but I, they're not going to be able to afford it. KTM could afford him. I think the logical move is in, at the end of 2020, he doesn't sign again with Honda. He goes to KTM and he does exactly the same thing with KTM and he turns KTM into a world beater because it's him. Yeah. And even the, the, I, we might even be in a, a situation where the bike only has to be pretty good yes. but because he is him. And he is, he is... I hate to say what I'm about to say because it makes me genuinely sad. But I love 
Valentino Rossi. And I know, I love the fact that he is built. The sport is where it is because of him. But he's not Mark Marquez. No. Mark Marquez is the greatest rider we have ever seen. But what you're and saying, maybe Dex. Maybe ever will see. And what you're saying, Dex, uh, and we'll finish on this thought. And I, I absolutely agree with you. For everybody to believe that Marquez is as good as he is, he has to do that so that they go, oh, it really was him. All the time. It really yes. was him. It wasn't the car. In, in some ways, a diametrically oh opposite thing that, that Schumacher did when he came back and then was roundly beaten by his teammate when he did He's come too back. Old, though. Ultimately, that, it, it, he lost. He was away too long and, and lost a little edge. Yes, oh, I, know, I, I, know and, it's, I know it's different. I know it's different, yeah. but the point, the, the point remains that Marquez, at that point, nobody, not even... That the person who is least fond of Mark Marquez would be able to say, well, that was all the bike. If it's an average bike, I mean, he's proved it this year, nobody else can ride the bike. Then everybody says, well, it's because it was built for him. And there's an element of truth in that. But if he does it with an unfancied uh, factory like KTM, and he does it again, and he's dominating again, then nobody can doubt the brilliance of Mark Marquez going into the future and possibly uh, another eight, ten years. Nobody can doubt the brilliance of Declan Brennan, who has been my guest as we've been looking at the two-wheeled world in 2019. Dex, thanks very much indeed, and we will continue to cover uh, MotoGP, World Superbike, and the support races with Dex and Nick Damon, of course, on Midweek Motorsport throughout 2020. Thanks for being with us for this look back on 2019. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.